Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find over 400 separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Katie B. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Katie. Welcome to all the newcomers, and congratulations to the birthday people. I love what you guys talked about. Um, to qualify, my abstinence date is July 31st, 2009, and I'm down about 95 pounds for my top weight. And uh, that's like, every time I say that, I kind of can't believe that, because uh, it seems like just a different person. And... I don't weigh myself today. I know that because I go to the doctor and they weigh me and they're happy with my weight. Uh, so I don't, it is what it is. Uh, so what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. What it was like is I grew up in the valley in like the Calabasas area um, out there. And, you know, I was born into a family of alcoholism and compulsive overeaters, but everyone looked really, really good. Like, it was just bizarre, you know, everyone was eating crazy and drinking, but then suddenly, you know, we were in private school, and everyone was in the PTA and looking really great, and I just never understood how that happened, and, you know, I uh, never felt like I fit in, we, I hear that a lot in the rooms, that people don't feel comfortable, and I never felt comfortable, my, uh, my background is that my mom's Irish Catholic, and my dad is uh, half, I like to call half wasp, uh, from like South Pasadena and, or San Marino area, and then half Armenian. So I was like, I didn't know where to go really, you know, like I didn't know where I fit in, and I didn't know, I didn't look like anyone else. My sisters had blonde hair and blue eyes, and I obviously do not. And, uh, <laughs> and I just never felt like I fit in. And, uh, my parents split up when I was 11. It was also the same year um, that I picked up, you know, other substances and the food at the same time. And and I just felt so different. I grew up going to Catholic school, and no one else's parents were divorced. And so I felt really separate from. And we always ate really healthy in my house. Like, food just wasn't an option, really, in my immediate house. When I went to my grandparents, it was very different. But... In my immediate house, we ate really healthy, and I would get a lunch packed for, by my mom every day for school, and when my parents split up, I remember I took that, that lunch to school, and I threw it away, and I went to the cafeteria, and I ordered, like, a chocolate chip muffin and, like, uh, got those gummy fruit snacks. It's super processed, disgusting. I love those. Threw those in there, and I went to the bathroom and ate by myself in the bathroom, and then I came out and I hung out with my friends. So my relationship with food, I think, was always really sick, and um, and I just, I was never okay feeling anything. Like, I never wanted to feel at all from the gate. Like, I just hated feelings, and my parents, when my parents split up, they tried to put us in therapy, and my sisters would, you know, cry to my parents about, they would talk about their feelings, like, I, this is what, I'm scared of this, and this is what's happening, and, and I just totally shut off. It was like, I'm fine, just leave me alone, I'm not going to therapy, 
and they would send me to the therapist, and I would sit there with my arms crossed for the hour, and I just did not want to go, and, and eventually, you know, I just found other solutions. So, like, I'm, as an addict, I'm going to find a solution, either recovery or other things. So I found eating and throwing up and drinking and doing drugs and anything, smoking, you know, like I can, shopping, I, I can find every thing to use. It doesn't really matter what it is. And, and my weight was okay. And then when I was 12, I discovered throwing up. I had to stay after school and there was a girl I walked into the bathroom and I found her throwing up and we were both in the seventh grade and we had this moment where we looked at each other and uh, didn't say anything, you know, and she's actually still one of my really good friends, but she was terrified because she thought, oh my God, this girl's going to tell on me or she's going to do something. And I was looking at her because I just was amazed and I thought this was like, she was a genius, you know, like, I thought she was so smart, and I was like, I would have never thought of that, oh my god, this is amazing, tell me your secrets, and we became, like, best friends over a period of three days, and, and hung out together all the time, and my mom didn't understand why this girl was suddenly at my house every single day, and, and we became friends, and, you know, she's still out there, uh, doing her thing, but, that just got me off the gate, and I thought that throwing up, binging and purging would be, like, like why didn't more people do it, you know? Like, I could eat what I wanted to eat and didn't have to show the consequences. And then what happened for me was that it stopped working. Like, I started gaining weight while throwing up. And for me, I was just like, that is unacceptable, you know? If I'm doing this, I do not want to be fat. And... And I convinced my parents to send me away to this fat camp in Ojai, this, like, prep school in Ojai for a summer. So I went to this fat camp. It was at a normal body weight, you know. And I, and I walked in, and I stayed there for the summer, you know. And it was great. Like, I could just exercise and eat this food that was prepared with no qualms and no worries. Uh, but what happened with me, because I'm a compulsive overeater, is I leave that place. And then I go home and binge, you know. And then it's just this constant, constant cycle. And and I ended up gaining a lot of weight in high school. And I went to an all-girls Catholic school. And we had to wear, our graduation, you had to wear these dresses that looked like wedding dresses and have the gloves that go all the way up and you carry roses and you have this big smile. And, uh, and I just could not, like, enjoy the day at all. I was terrified that I wasn't going to fit into this dress. I felt like I was huge. I was probably only 20 pounds more than most of the girls in my class, but I felt huge. And I was fighting with everyone. My mom was trying to, you know, congratulations, you graduated. And I, like, slammed the door in her face. And I was just, did not want anything to do with anyone, because that's how I behave when I'm active. It's like, I'm angry and rageful and and I can't understand why people love me, and I just don't feel okay in the world. And and my best friend and her family had come to the graduation. Her mom was a doctor, and uh, they came. I couldn't even appreciate that they were there. Like, it was just a bad day. And I went away to school in San Francisco, and I thought that that was going to be my answer. 
because it was always someone else's problem. Like, it was always someone else's fault. It's my mom, my dad, my sisters, this guy that I'm dating, this girl that I'm friends with. It's always someone else. And so I moved away to San Francisco thinking that it was L.A. So I went to San Francisco, and immediately, like, it hit so fast. I got in trouble for, it's hard for me to share, like, you know, I'm full-fledged alcoholism in every area, uh, but I got in trouble for alcohol and drugs the first night before my parents were even gone, and then I, like, like, my mom was there, and I'm like, hey, let's do this, and I get in trouble, and then I have to take these classes, and then all of a sudden I forget that I'm there to go to college, and I'm not going to class, and I'm binging and purging and drinking, and, and eventually I, I moved home. And I thought, okay, like, I'm going to get my stuff together when I'm home. And I came home, and I gained 60 pounds in, like, three months. I mean, I just sat at home, and I binged, and was living, still living at home, and (laughs) we had housekeepers, and they would, it got so bad that I would come home in the morning, and I would have all of my stuff, like, all of my bags of food, and and I was going to do it, you know, and they knew to leave. Like, as soon as I walked in that kitchen, they knew what was about to happen, and they would leave. And uh, and I just, it was, like, looking back, it's really sad. But for me, that's what it looks like. And I went to the doctor. I had a doctor's appointment that I kept putting off because when I'm, when I'm in it, like, I don't want to face the music at all, and I don't want to hear the truth. And I went to the doctors, and they weighed me, and I was, I think it was, like, 245 pounds around there. And they did, you know, your whole blood work, and my triglycerides were in the 600s. I was pre-diabetic. I, um, the doctor told me I was going to have a stroke and die before I was 25, you know. And my mom was sitting there, and my mom's crying, and I'm just stoic, you know, like there's nothing is registering, and then the doctor suggested diet plan, and then I started crying, and I said, you know, like, I said, there's no way, I can't do it, I got super dramatic, and, uh, and then he said, you know, Katie, you're 245 pounds, like, you need to eat less, and, uh, and I told him that he, and this is, I just like telling the story, because this is me in the disease, then I start telling him that he's a liar and I'm not 245 pounds and and I'm yelling at him and my mom who's like very very sweet you know she's very nice everyone loves my mom is sitting there just dying you know and uh, and he takes me around to all these different scales in the office and he weighs me on all of them and um, and. I couldn't deny it then. Like, okay, I'm 245 pounds. Like, you know, and and I'm so pissed. And he, like, tells me that I need to go see this nutritionist, and I just leave, you know. And and then I started crying because I was like, I don't want to be like this. I do not want to be this miserable, but I do not know how to not go to the food. Like, I don't know any other way. Um... And when I did lose weight, like, all I knew how to do was eat lettuce and smoke cigarettes, you know. Like, I didn't, there was never any normal eating with me. So, um, my mom's sober, and my mom said, you know, there's there's a program for people who eat like I drink. 
and I said, mm, that's, <laughs> that's great, uh, and so <coughs> I didn't want to go, but I kept binging, and I kept being miserable, and I was always really social. I always had a lot of friends, had fun, and I didn't want anything to do with my friends anymore. I didn't want anything to do with life anymore. I always cared about how I looked, and I was just wearing sweatshirts all the time and sweats and just not taking care of myself, you know, and so I came into OA and I was uh, 19 years old and I went to a meeting and the only meeting that I could find that day was at Darby in Reseda and I walked in and um, it was, I could not have picked a different crowd, you know, like than myself and I was 19, I was in school at the time, and I just felt all I could hear were the differences. And I thought, that I don't have anything in common with these people. Like, there is nothing I can relate on until you guys opened your mouth and you started talking about your relationship with food and how you thought about yourself all the time, you know, because I just, I always thought about myself. You know, if I wasn't in the food, I was obsessing about what you thought about me or what I thought you thought about me or... You know, this whole thing, if, this, if someone didn't shake my hand or, or give me a huge hug, oh, my God, they hate me, and I did this to them. And when people, what I've learned in here is people really just don't care that much about me. You know, like, they really don't, like, they're not thinking of me all the time. And, um, and that was, like, a revelation to me. Uh, so... So I came in, and I just started doing what you guys said. You know, I don't remember <coughs> when I heard my first meeting. I just remember I heard, keep coming back, and I did. And they told me to get a sponsor. And, you know, I was 19. Like, I didn't know. We say in here, find someone who has what you want. And uh, I didn't know what that meant, you know. And today I do. Like, I know what that means. And... But then I thought it was just someone rich and thin and pretty and had good hair. And, like, so I picked this really adorable sponsor, but we didn't really do anything, you know. And and it became clear that that was not what you guys meant. And so I got another sponsor, and I started working the steps. And I worked with her for about, um, I don't know, three and a half years or so. And she was great, you know. She she had me delve into the doctor's opinion, and she said, you know, what do you relate to? And she brought me through the steps, and she got me clear on my alcoholic foods and that I didn't have to eat them. And that um, to get involved and to sponsor people and to do the steps and to go to meetings when I didn't want to, and that meetings and my program came first, like, I mean, I was kind of a lunatic in my first year of abstinence. Like, I didn't show up for anything besides program stuff. And my parents, like, my family knew, okay, Katie's going to a meeting from this time to this time, so we're going to, like, delay dinner. We're going to delay. They learned that, like, for me, my program had to come first. And I'm so glad that I did all of that because it continues to save me a lot. Uh, And... And, you know, life got really hard for me around year, I don't know, three or so. And I just, I needed, I had a sponsor who was amazing. But my spiritual, I went to this spiritual dilemma where I had just gotten sober and I felt like I was going to die, you know. Like I felt what I was doing wasn't enough anymore anymore. 
and felt like I didn't know who my God was, really. And so I, things were just bad, and starting in July of 2012, I, you know, I, my biggest problems when I came in here were that you didn't, I thought you didn't like me, or that I am, you know, I, I wasn't the most popular girl in high school, or whatever, like, those were my biggest issues, and I think that just comes with being young, but, um, in 2012, I started having this onslaught of deaths and hard things, which is, I'm so grateful for the birthday people talking about that, and I didn't know how I was going to, like, move on, but I knew what to do, you know, I was at a meeting that night, I stayed close, I, I stayed sober and I stayed abstinent, and I had, I had, um, 12 days of abstinence, or I mean of sobriety, when this woman, uh, who I adored, she was like a second mom to me, and she fell down a flight of stairs in France, and died a week later, um, and I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, like, I just went to my meetings, and called my sponsor, and stayed close, and stayed busy, and, um, and then from that point on, I said to Lisa on the other, I think last night, like, oh my gosh, it's been a hard year, and she was like, it's been longer than a year, Katie, <laughs> uh, you know, because I, it's pretty amazing what we can go through, and so, Around last June, I hit this bottom where I um, felt like I was dying. I felt like I was in this this constant spiral downward of just grief and sadness and hard times. And I went to a meeting for another program and got my current sponsor. And I just, like, I needed someone who is a spiritual example. Like, I needed to know what to do and to know that God is always my solution and that I have to just keep growing and keep seeking and keep doing. And and uh, I've had a really rough period of time, but that being said, it's kind of been like the most amazing year and a half that I've ever had um, because, because my relationship with God went from being optional to like it, you're doing it, you know, like, like there's no other choice, really, and uh, so I started just seeking more, and I started actually caring about doing my meditation and my prayer and, and working with others, and, you know, I, I always sponsored people, but I didn't get it, like, I just thought I wasn't doing it right, because I wasn't getting anything out of it, because it's always about me, even when I'm helping you, and, uh, and I just, like, didn't get that, and then... When things started going down with me, I um, I loved it, you know. Like, I needed to not think. I needed desperately to not think about myself for one second. And, and I got to see that I really can go through anything. I mean, I've kind of been going through things, a lot of death. My best friend committed suicide in October. Um, you know, a friend died from cancer. Like, all this stuff started happening. Um... And I just didn't think I was going to be able to get through it. Like, really, when when my best friend died, I was like, I mean, we were attached at the hip since we were four years old. And I was just like, I can't go through, like, I don't want to go through life without her. Like, I can't. And I have, you know. And it's hard, but, but I have. And 
you know, I something happened in my family last night, and I was just laughing, like, oh, I wish Kimmy, you know, could could be here, you know, because I would have just, like, ran to her house, and you just start, but I remember that I can pray, and I can meditate, and I can stay present for the people that are in my life, and, and I hated, I didn't want to meditate when I came in here, I thought it was really hokey pokey, and I wasn't going to meditate, and that was just dumb, and, but let me tell you, like, meditation has saved me, and it, it just deepens my relationship with God on such a different level than prayer does. Like, I'm all for prayer. I pray every day. I prayed right before I spoke. Uh, but meditation really has changed my life, and it's really calmed me, and I was so full of rage and anger, and meditation has just kind of taken the edge off of that, and and it makes me feel that there's really no big deals, you know, and around a little bit before Thanksgiving, I, uh, I've always worn contacts, like, I've always had to wear, have some help with my eyes, and, but it was very minimal, and I was actually getting eyelash extensions done, and I, they have you take your contacts out, and when I did that, um, I noticed, oh my gosh, my eyes were really bad, I should go to the optometrist, so I went to the optometrist, and, they couldn't, they said, oh, yeah, something's really wrong, and they sent me to an ophthalmologist who sent me, you know, you go down the line of, of people, and over a period of a couple of weeks, my eyesight went from being bad and kind of scary to pretty much non-existent, and uh, doctors couldn't figure out what it was, and so I ended up going to Jewel Stein, and they figured out that I have this really rare genetic degenerative disease where um, I'm going blind and I have now I have these glasses which help me but I didn't really get what it meant to um, have faith until that happened really like to be totally okay with the outcome whatever it was going to be and and I felt that it was one thing to hear it and just to say it but to to be there and right before I was going in and getting these results to really feel like, okay, you know, it is what it is and and I can show up for anything and and I think, you know, when people don't work this way of life, that can look kind of crazy, like when you're in a medical situation. Uh, like my dad, who my dad is extremely practical and like, he was with me, and he could not understand how I could be calm. Like, he, he goes around, and he's just like, no, no. Okay, so that's the, that's the answer, doctor, but we'll figure it out. Like, we're going to take her to Europe, and we're going to do all this stuff, and we're going to, you know, and um, and he at first was angry with how calm I was about the situation, and because it can look like apathy. It can look like I don't care, you know, and um, but I'm just really clear that, me freaking out isn't going to do anything, and and I just got really busy in the solution, and, you know, I'm just so clear, like, I can go through a lot of stuff and act like a lady of grace and dignity and go through anything, you know, and that I can stay abstinent through it all, and my food has changed from being super super, super clean to not so clean to now I eat, you know, I eat healthy and and it's just not an option. And it, and also it's like when you go through things I feel like that are really terrifying, like 
I knew food was not going to change it, you know. Food is not going to bring back my sight. Food is not going to bring back people I love. Food is not going to, it's just going to take me out, you know, and it's just going to separate me. And I've learned in here that I want to be connected to other people. Like, I actually don't want to be separate from you, and I actually want to be in this solution. And when I'm not in this solution for one second, I feel so uncomfortable. Like, it's a lot easier for me to show up and go to a meeting and call my sponsor and do what we're supposed to do than for me to sit at home, like, thinking up some idea, you know, and that just doesn't work. So I'm going to open it up for questions, but I'm just super grateful to be here and to be a member of this program, and thank you guys because you do save my life. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does have what I want mean to me now? So, like I said, when I came in, I thought that it was all physical um, because I just, you know, couldn't imagine it not being. And now what I what it is is um, I look at my sponsor Leslie, who has what I want. You know, like she's in in the group, involved, doing the deal, has a great relationship with God and shows up all the time and is in the solution pretty much, you know. That's that's what it, what I want now. So it just shifted from physical to what's actually important, what is actually going to get me closer to God. Because me, you know, picking the sponsor with the best car and, you know, <laughs> isn't going to, I mean, it's not going to do anything. So, and it's not going to help me at all. Okay, so how I work the steps and how I do my maintenance. When I went through the steps, I did them out of the big book. Um, so, like, I did the fourth step with the columns and the resentments. And, yeah, I mean, just pretty much out of the big book. Uh, and then the AA 12 and 12, too. I haven't really worked out of the OA 12 and 12, but the AA 12 and 12 was a great supplement, is a great supplement for the big book. And... With my amends, it was really important for me to keep them simple and not long-winded because they're not. It's not about me, so I had to really follow a clear guideline with the amends. Like I had an actual script that I did, so it it just helps me to do it like that. And for me, like it helps my ego too that I don't get to work the steps any special way. You know, like I just work them how we all work them. And then for maintenance. Um, I was told to live in 10, 11, and 12, so if a certain situation comes up, I might do an inventory on it, but for now, it's really trying to live my life in a way where I'm not needing to make a ton of amends, and I'm doing prayer and meditation and sponsoring women, and and that really helps me a lot. And when I sponsor, I'm going through the steps with them, so it helps keep it current. Sure, my food plan... So I just, uh, I learned really early on what foods don't work for me, so I don't eat, I don't abstain necessarily from sugar, but I don't eat a lot of sugar at all because it just lands me in crazy town and certain other foods, uh, but, so my food's pretty, like, I mean, I can tell you specifics after the meeting, but I eat pretty healthy and, but if I'm in a situation, like, I used to nanny a lot, and it was either... You know, they would tell me what you were going to have, and there was no other option. Like, it's whatever the family had there. And they would say, oh, we have a salad, and I would get there, and it would be, like, 
cheese pizza, you know, but I, but if I, but if I, like, then I wouldn't eat until one in the morning and be even crazier, so I would have a slice of cheese pizza and a bottle of water, you know, so I just try and make the best decisions, and I send my food to my sponsor in the morning, and so there's no secrets about what I'm eating. Sponsoring people and not getting something out of it. I think I had to realize, like, the point isn't for me to get something out of it. And, uh, and that, like, it really taught me to be gentler, too. Like, when I first started sponsoring, I was insane. Like, if they didn't do it my way, I was like, okay, you're not willing enough, bye, you know? And I was really harsh. And, uh, and I've learned to let people kind of have their own experience and their own journey. And, um, I mean, I'm structured as a sponsor, but, you know, we all are different people. And we all go through things differently. And so, but the big thing for me was realizing you know, I'm not sponsoring someone to get it out of it for me. And I also had to not, like, I would always be on the phone with sponsees while I was running around and shopping and doing things. And I had to really quiet down and, like, sit down and answer the phone and talk to them and meet with them for step work and, and really be in it versus, okay, I have to sponsor, so I'm going to answer the phone while I'm running in between all these things. I don't, okay, balancing two different programs. I I actually get asked this question a lot, and I I don't know. Like, I don't think it's that hard. You go to meetings, and you, I mean, luckily, I, I have the same sponsor for both, but, but I, did, I didn't always, you know, and I think that it's really not that hard. Like, if I want recovery, I'll do it. So I go to meetings, which are usually an hour, an hour and a half. I talk to my sponsor for 10 minutes. I mean, it's really not that difficult. I think if you want, if you really want recovery, you can do it. And you can make it work. And there's plenty of people that are in multiple programs. Mm-hmm. How much time do you have? Uh, uh, okay, so. I'll share with you after the meeting, because in a lot of ways, you know, family isn't perfect, and we just, I had kind of a mix-up last night with, uh, I moved back to, uh, back home, but doing the amends with my family was really, really powerful, and, you know, um, my family's in recovery, so the fact that I was just making this amends, they weren't immediately like, oh, it's okay, and it's fine, and everything's great. You know, like, I had to prove myself to them. And But the most beautiful example is with my dad. Um, I came in here, and I hated my dad. And I don't say this lightly. Like, I hated him. And I actually would fantasize about him dying. Like, I hated him. And uh, through just showing up, even when I didn't want to, I would go over for Sunday night dinner when I really did not want to go there. And just consistently showing up and allowing him to be there for me. So when I started going through all of my stuff with my health and my eyes, my dad showed up on a regular basis and he called me one night and he was crying. And, like, we don't really cry in my family. Even now, Lee San calls me, like, the ethereal, like, it's just an idea that I actually cry, which I do. But, uh, we don't cry a lot. We're not really super emotional. 
And my dad called me crying, apologizing for everything, and um, we've both been able to really show up in different ways for each other. And so, you know, program helps, but my actions really have to follow. Like, I can't just make amends and then go back to what I was doing with my family. Um, but it's it's a great thing, and it doesn't have to be in a way that, like, my dad can't hear program talk, and I know that about him. So I just show up as a nice daughter, and, and it's the same message. All right, thanks.